the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. One young exile with uncompromising faith. This is God's grand plan to achieve the unimaginable. If you've ever uh, swum in the ocean when the current is strong, right, what happens is you, you go out from the, the sand into the ocean and uh, you start, do whatever, do whatever you're doing, surfing or paddleboarding or swimming or maybe trying to avoid sharks or jellyfish, and you're out there in God's creation in the ocean, and maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes go by, and you look back and what's happened you are far away from all your stuff. You're like, that was not my uh, section here. And you look down, and maybe 50 yards back the other way is your towels and your whole beach kind of set up. And that is, is what was attempting to happen to us. Just uh, back in May, my family, we went to the beach, and we've taken our kids in the sand a bunch. But the first time I really like took them in the water and in the waves was in May. And we were in the Atlantic Ocean, and I took them one in at a time. And the current was so strong, you actually saw the waves pressing south on the coast of Florida. And I took, like I said, a kid one at a time, and I was doing everything I could to not allow us to just coast on and allow that current to take us far away. I remember planting my feet in the sand as I'm lifting my kids above the waves. And that's a picture for us to understand a cultural current that's going on in our story. We're in Daniel, and in the book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends are taken to a foreign land, and there's a strong cultural current that would be so easy to get uh, swept up in because they were taken from everything that they knew everything that was familiar to them, and they're being groomed to serve a foreign king, a pagan nation that opposed God. But we see Daniel time and time again stand on his convictions, leaving the temporary pleasures of the world behind and trusting in God. And what we've tried to bring in this series is that today we too, Christians, we are in a uh, foreign land and we have a cultural current that's trying to conform us into its image not just in our world, in our country. No more are the days where we are founded on just God. Our culture tells us today that the biblical narrative isn't relevant. In fact, my wife and I listened to a podcast recently that said a study was done that only 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview. 2%. We uh, no longer uh, are in the days where there's objective truth. People can do whatever they want. People can decide to be whoever they want biologically. But Daniel's faithfulness encourages us, you and me, to remain faithful in these various trials. That in God's, his great grand plan, he will vindicate his people working all things out for his glorious uh, purposes. I want to invite you to now turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel in the lion's den. And as you're turning there, let me just tell you, a lot of time has gone by. Uh, we read a couple chapters, we flip a few pages, and don't sit in the wait that over 60 years has now gone by in Babylon. Daniel started as a teenager, but now he's most likely in his early 80s. Uh, how many of you think of Daniel as a grandpa in the lion's den or an old man? Okay, like two of you. Good job. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I like to think of him as uh, Papa Dan. So I have a, a grandpa, I had a grandpa named Daniel, and we called him Papa Dan my whole life. And so uh, we're going to be talking about Papa Dan today, uh, old uh, Daniel. 
started as a teenager, but we've seen him be so faithful throughout this entire uh, time. And we're going to read this famous story today. And my prayer is that you would see significance, new significance in your life and grab hold of the hope that we have uh, from the word this morning. If you're able to stand, we're going to start in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Let's pray. Um, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name um, that I would decrease and you would increase, that your word would be manifested in power through the Spirit's power this morning, that God, we would take this childhood story that many of us have heard and know, and it would uh, put a deep-seated hope for us as we leave here this morning to maintain faithfulness in a crazy world that we live in. God, we trust you. We believe every word that's written in these scriptures, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Our main idea today is that God has a plan for his faithful people in the face of unfaithful enemies. God has a plan for you, and he has a plan for me in the face of unfaithful enemies. Last week, we read that Babylon is, is falling, it's fallen, and the, the Medes and Persians team up, right? And, and they conquer Babylon, and we see a new character introduced right away in verse 1, King Darius. I just want to make a note here that he is not in any secular literature, so there's often speculation of who is this guy, did he really exist, and there's a couple thoughts if I've studied and reflected on it. Um, One is just that that Darius was a name uh, for kings, that, that the Persians would give kings. So it could have actually been that he, was, he had multiple names. Some believe he was King Cyrus, who we're going to be talking about in a bit. Some believe he was put on the throne in Babylon underneath uh, King Cyrus. But this word Darius means lord or ruler of the scepter, carrier of the scepter. And regardless, I think what's important for us to note here as we study God's word is that uh, King Cyrus is the top dog. He's overseeing everything here in this crazy uh, Median Persian empire. But King Darius has established himself on the throne in Babylon. And something I just absolutely love about God's word is you can read the prophecy about this happening. If you have that booklet that my wife beautifully designed for you to take sermon notes on, there's a section that says uh, scriptures, uh, other scriptures here. Write down Isaiah chapter 45. And you can go back and read verses, I believe it's 1 and 2 that predict over 150 years before that some bro named Cyrus would come along and take over this empire of Babylon. It's amazing. Can't make this stuff up. Uh, In verse 1, we read about Darius and that he set up 120 mousetraps. Just kidding. Satraps, seeing if you're paying attention. Um, Satraps uh, is like a, think of a governor, 
okay? And there's 120 of them, and then there's three high officials, kind of like cabinet members to the king, that are above all of, these, all of these governors. And we see that Daniel yet once again finds favor with the king, and he's put in charge of everything underneath Darius's or Darius's authority. That's amazing. It says that David had an excellent, or excuse me, Daniel had an excellent spirit. This means uh, surpassing, or as I studied the word, it, it means like preeminent. There's this surpassing preeminence about uh, Daniel that his character is noticed. He has integrity. He has faithfulness. Is he perfect? No, but, but he's called blameless. Uh, people are referred to as blameless in the scripture, not sinless, but, but they're identified as being high character without fault. And some of the things we've learned about Daniel so far is that he's hardworking. He's trusted to give leadership and oversight uh, to so many things in the kingdom. He's a man of prayer. We'll see more of that today. He's loyal, and God is working in him where people notice, this, this guy's different. I want to put him in charge. I want to trust him He's living a life that demands an explanation. He's living a powerful, and I just want to say, um, how many of you live differently than your non-Christian friends, that people look at you with a surpassing spirit? Uh, this guy has a surpassing spirit about them. I trust him. They have integrity. Our men's ministry is doing a study on biblical manhood, and somebody from our, our small group table said, I, I want to start a value in my family of integrity, that our family will start to be known by having integrity. We're going to put it on the wall. We're going to have it up there. This is now going to define us moving forward. Daniel uh, had surpassing uh, integrity. I think today, maybe we would even say it like this, that he was a man who yielded to the Spirit, not to the flesh, as Paul breaks out in Galatians 5, Uh, 16. Uh, These two things are opposing, but Daniel is walking in the Spirit. And these guys are jealous, right? These satraps are are jealous, and they're trying to find something wrong with him, right? As if a celebrity, they're putting a microscope up to his life. They're checking his Instagram, his TikTok, his Twitter, or is it called X now? I don't know. But they're searching all the phone books, whatever, mail. Do people still get mail? Just kidding. But they're, they're searching, what does this guy have that we can expose? And they find nothing. And so they're jealous. They're probably jealous of his title, right, as he's overseeing them as a high official. But I want to just suggest that they're jealous of more than just that, there, there's the title, there's I don't want to have to submit to you, but here's something I think that happens in our culture, and I'm guessing it happened in Daniel's culture, and that is today, uh, you can come up with your own version of good, and as long as your good doesn't impact my good, we're good, right? So, so we each come up with our own idea of what this is, but what happens is when someone like Daniel comes along and actually embodies uh, godly morality, embodies faith, his good exposes the lack of good in other people, and it's a light that reveals the darkness in others, and they feel bad about themselves. Daniel was actually good, and I find this today. If you and me, if we're faithful in the world, we expose darkness, and people no longer feel good about the decisions they're making, and so they want to persecute you. They want to uh, resist you, and the satraps can't find fault, so they go after his worship of God. So let's read about this, starting in verse 6 through 9. Then these high officials and satraps, they came by agreement to the king and said to him, 
O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. They can't find fault, so they manipulate King Darius to create a law where no one can worship anything or everyone must worship Darius and they can't worship anything else. And that's a foolish, ridiculous idea, but it was somewhat common. Pastor Tom talked about it. King Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing with his golden statue. And that sounds pretty nice. And we're all pretty, you know, selfish today in our culture. If we're honest, that sounds pretty cool. Everyone's just going to worship me for a whole month. Fantastic. I like that idea. And so he says, sure, let's do it. And Daniel's faithfulness to God puts him under attack. When you and I, when we worship God, we will face opposition. A first point from our text today is as God's faithful people, we will come under attack. Make no mistake, as God's faithful people, we will come under attack. A little participation. Did anybody become a Christian because they wanted a really easy life? That's great. That's great. No, nobody, apparently. That's fantastic because, as you know, it is not easy. Scripture doesn't tell us it will be easy. And we are constantly under attack. And there's three ways that we're under attack. There's three enemies that we face. And because these aren't all explicitly in the text, I'm just going to breeze through this really quick. I don't even have a slide for it, but the three enemies we face are the devil. He prowls like a roaring lion seeking to devour. We see that in a little bit of physical manifestation today in our text. But the devil is seeking to devour you, make no mistake. And where he's got you, where he really wants you is when you don't know it. The flesh, so the devil, then the flesh. We're all born inclined to sin. Kill sin, or sin will be killing you. We have to die to the flesh and live uh, in, in the spirit and the new life God's given us. And then the third enemy we have is the world. And we see this manifested explicitly in our text. But don't, don't lose sight that the other two are happening, right? These men had a flesh. They had a sinful nature. Daniel had a flesh. The, Satan is working. He worked in the Old Testament. He is working to devour. So all this is going on, but we see in Daniel verse, or chapter 6, verse 5, they say we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So Daniel's persecuted. The world rages with jealousy. It rages with pride. It rages with sensuality and covetousness. And this all, it wears on us. It's tempting to us. It's destructive at many times to us. And many brothers and sisters in Christ around the world right now are facing physical threat. They're facing persecution. And you just, you can read the news. You can find and unpack this. I just read about some pastors in India who had done nothing wrong except read their Bible and preach their Bible. And they're in prison now. You can read about what's happening in North Korea. Obviously, many of you know what's happening in Israel and in the Gaza Strip. There are Jewish Christians being killed, being persecuted. People are being killed for their faith. And we don't experience the same kind of danger here in America. We should be very grateful of that. We should be very thankful. But we do see it play out in other ways. We see it played out when you stand for biblical truth. 
I've experienced this. I, I don't know if you have. I hope you have, because it means you're living your faith boldly. But when you stand on objective biblical truth, you will face rejection. When you say that God has a plan for marriage, that God has a plan, that my life is not my own, my body was bought at a price, and that impacts the things I do and the way I live. When you uh, explain to people, right, that that, that God is is calling me to do something really, really difficult, and people don't understand, and they don't stick with you uh, through the heart. If you explain that Jesus is the only way Right? Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to divide. And what that means is there's really only uh, one uh, grouping that matters in the entire world. That's either you are in Christ or you're not in Christ. Separate the sheep and the goats, right? That's the only really identification that ultimately matters. No one comes to the Father except through me. That offends people. It puts us at enmity with the world. And Daniel, here he's done nothing wrong, but he's being per- persecuted for his faith these satraps are deceptive, and they're trying to have him kill, killed. But let's see how, how Daniel responds here, continuing in verse 10. It says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went up to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had previously done. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. How does Daniel react to this? He prays. How does he stand up against this attack? He is faithfully on his knees three times a day, praying, following Jeremiah 21, which talked about praying toward the temple. (coughs) Excuse me praying toward the temple in Jerusalem. And he did it all while knowing that the document was signed. Essentially, there's a death penalty if you worship anything or anyone other than Darius. But he goes out there and he demonstrates unwavering commitment to God through prayer. He remained loyal in the face of danger. Our second point, as God's faithful people, we must remain loyal in the face of danger. (coughs) We must remain loyal in the face of danger because this would go against every human instinct that Daniel had, that you and I and our flesh would have. And it doesn't tell us what is going on through Daniel's, uh, his mind or what's going on in his heart, but how did he remain loyal in this trial? It it doesn't really say in the text. So I just pondered that and I thought, God, how is it that, that Daniel was able to go out there in his 80s and get on his hands and knees outside and pray, knowing that these guys were trying to throw him into the lion's den. How would he do that? How do we remain loyal when life seems unfair? And here's just a couple thoughts of how we remain loyal in a trial. The first is this, be faithful in the mundane. Again, this is not explicitly in our text this morning. I want to make sure you know that, but I believe this is something that that Daniel embodied. Be faithful in the mundane. Luke 16, 10, he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. If you want to stand the test of standing up for your faith 
in, in the midst of, of this significant trial, how can you stay faithful and firm and loyal to God? Do you have a practice of doing so in the small, individual moments in your life? Are you faithful to loving your spouse, respecting your spouse, serving your spouse? Are you faithful to praying and getting on your knees to God each and every day so it's a habit, so it's a routine? Are you faithful to serving others and count them more significant than yourselves? And we could just go on and on about this. Are you faithful in the little? The the second is this, be prepared uh, to suffer it's, it's shocking to me that we're so surprised when we suffer, and I'm, I'm throwing myself in, in here too, right? I'm, this is not you all do this and not me. I do it too. Why are we so surprised when we suffer? The, the Word of God is filled uh, with expectation that we will suffer, and yet the cultural current is so strong to avoid all pain and suffering at all costs, right? Avoid it all. But the Bible says to, in Philippians 1, verse 29, believe in Christ and suffer with him, right? Jesus says, take up your cross. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. I want to read a, a very powerful passage from 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. And in this passage, Paul is writing to Gentile Christians. He's writing uh, to them. They're in persecution. They're facing it, all these trials. And he's in Rome, which uh, interestingly enough, he refers to as Babylon, and he writes to them, and and I want to read this, but before I read this passage, I have have two hopes in it. Uh, My first hope is that if you are here and you are suffering, whether you expected it or not, however you think you're doing in it, that you would see God's presence and purpose in it. The second hope I have is if that you are not currently in a trial, that this would cause you to know that a trial is coming and be more prepared and have more hope in it. It says this in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, that these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire. It may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is what uh, Peter is saying here. He's saying that your trial and your suffering is actually good because what it's doing is it's burning away at the false hopes in your life and it's burning away at the distractions to reveal to you that really the only thing you have is hope in Jesus Christ. And and the temptation and one of the currents that we face is to avoid all pain and suffering and and to have a a, a beautiful looking family that behaves the right way and we move to a safe school district and we avoid all pain and suffering and they go on to have good careers and do good things. And and it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. But what can happen is we get this idea that we have hope outside of just Jesus. And when you're suffering, you have nothing left because it burns away the false hopes and it burns Turns away the distractions and your faith is proven genuine. Amen? Amen. That is what Peter is saying. And I just believe that Daniel, having suffered so much, we're going to unpack even more later, is prepared. He's ready 
These false hopes were never really an option for him, and he has hope in Jesus Christ. If you're not suffering, expect it, so when it comes, you're going to be loyal and faithful to God. Let's continue on in our text. We're going to jump to verse 16. It says, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den, and I think a a picture can be helpful here. So here's just kind of an image of of Daniel. I don't know if he looks like he's in his 80s, but he doesn't look like a young chap either, so it maybe gets the job done. And we don't know his strategy, but I don't care how tactical you are. You would have thought of some strategy when you got tossed in that den. Like, am I going to act like a wild man that no lion would want to eat? I'm just going to go screaming like crazy. Am I going to run into the corner of the room and just try to, like, climb the wall? Uh, Am I going to play dead and just fall over as soon as I get in there, right? I I like to think that I I would tap into some of my woo, right? And I would just start talking to the lions. You know, I I would name them different names, Simba and Mufasa and (laughs) Alex from Madagascar and Aslan. And I would just try to really, you know, we're going to be okay. We can talk about this. But we don't know what Daniel uh, is thinking or doing. And it's interesting because sometimes in Scripture we get more of a picture of a poem or someone crying out to God of this is what they were thinking or feeling. And although a picture like this can help, I think it actually was probably really dark. And so this might be a little more accurate of what Daniel was uh, facing, a terrifying uh, thought. And I just want to take a moment here to acknowledge that this seems very unfair. seems very unfair. And that if anyone had a right to curse God or blaspheme God or cry out against God, it would be Daniel as he's here in the face of death. Daniel, who is in his 80s, he's been faithful to God for so long. And and I think Daniel uh, could have pulled out a, a pass card when all this happened, Right? Uh, he finds out this law's uh, coming into play, and he's probably like, are you kidding me? Gosh, why is everyone against me? Why, why am I persecuted again? And, and he could have just said, you know what, God? I have been faithful in exile for over 60 years. I'm going to opt out. I- I'm going to fast from praying for 30 days, <laughs> or I'm going to pray inside. But he doesn't do that. Some of you are are here and you're facing a significant trial, and and I know it, and I know what many of them are, because as a pastor, I love to be involved in your lives and and to know what's going on, and some of you are facing uh, physical health, serious issues, marital issues, uh, relationship tension, mental health, and, and the list goes on. You're facing serious trials, and I don't want to minimize that. We need better practices of lament and better practices of, of grieving. We need to know how to do that. Have you ever found, though, that sometimes perspective helps? Have you ever uh, met with someone else, and, and they just share in love their struggle, and, and they're not trying to minimize your struggle, but, but you are reflecting like, man, I actually don't have it as bad as I thought, Someone else is suffering here, and I, and I don't mean to minimize what your experience is, but it's a perspective. I'm not alone. 
There's other people going through significant things, and so I want to bring us some perspective with Daniel. Daniel was taken away as a teenager. Relationship with dad, gone. Relationship with mom, gone. Any siblings he had, gone. Hopes to worship in Jerusalem, gone. Hopes to be a dad and a husband, gone. He's a eunuch. Hopes for any future or life that he had was taken from him. All he had was ripped apart from him, and now he is there facing a lion, facing death. If anyone had a right to say, this is unfair, and cry out against God, it was Daniel. But yet, he's shown faithfulness, and the text says that Darius is worried about him. We skipped a few verses for time's sake, but in those verses, it talked about how Darius didn't want to do this. He, he was caught up. He was foolish in making a quick decision. Uh, the Proverbs have a lot to say about that, making decisions in haste. Don't do it. Talk to other people. Pray about it. Darius does it. Now he's in trouble. He cares about Daniel. He likes Daniel a lot, and now he's not sleeping. He's fasting. Uh, back in the late winter, early spring, my wife and I had a mouse problem. And uh, we might actually have another mouse problem, so you can pray about that. But we had a mouse problem, and uh, someone from the church gave me some advice. They said, you need to go get some sticky traps. Mm-mm, bad idea. So I, I get some sticky traps, not really knowing what I'm getting myself, in, up, or getting myself into, and I go and I home alone that garage. I mean, there's a montage going on as I'm trapping that thing up. And I go to bed, and I sit in my bed and turn off the light and lay my head down, waiting for the accusers to come in, right, the attackers. And I'm like, I can't sleep. What if a mouse gets stuck in one of my traps? What if he's struggling? What if he's suffering? What if he starts squealing, and I hear these noises in the middle of the night? Oh, I did not sleep well. I was so worried. And then the next morning, I woke up, and yeah, I found what I did not want to find, right? There's a party that doesn't want it to work, right? It's kind of weird. Um, on a more serious note, you know, some of you have, have lost sleep over people, over loved ones that you've been concerned about. And, and that's what's happening with Darius. He's actually concerned about another human being, another person. And Darius feared for his friend's life. Let's continue in verse uh, 19. It says, Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O oh, king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no harm, no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones. Just so no one thinks, right, that these lions weren't actually hungry or that they were fasting, Later that same day, the men and their children and their families are thrown in. And before they hit the ground, they're mauled. This would have been common practice in, in the Persian Empire is to hold accountable all those in the family line who even were in connection with one person who had 
done wrongdoing. And we can maybe somewhat understand that a little bit in our culture, but on Monday night I was talking to my wife and I said, hey Emily, I said, what do you think about uh, the fact that these men who, who tricked the king to throw Daniel in the lion's den, what do you think about the fact that they had to get thrown in? And her words were, yeah, I think the, the um, punishment fits the crime. And then I said, what about the fact that their wives got thrown in? She's like, that doesn't seem fair, right? <laughs> I'm like, what about the fact that their children got thrown in? And she's like, oh no, the children too? Like, ugh. We wrestle with that. And this is not a message about God's sovereignty. I wanted to acknowledge it because some of you maybe would get distracted uh, by that piece. Uh, we can't understand how God works. We have to believe that he's good. I think sometimes a question to, to change is instead of why would God uh, kill them, it's why would God not kill me? Instead of why would God not rescue them, why would God even rescue me? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have to uh, trust and faith in this. And I think a good takeaway is that your actions matter. The things you do impact your biological family. They impact the body of Christ. They have consequences. They uh, matter. And it says in verse 23 that for Daniel, he trusted in his God. It came down to faith came down to faith. Let's, let's finish our, our story here in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear uh, the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius goes Apostle Paul on us right here. Did you hear that? This is like Colossians chapter 1. What is happening? There's a transformation. This guy is acknowledging who God is. Similar to chapter 3, which there's so much uh, correlation here, so many similarities. Nebuchadnezzar, I like to call him King Neb, right? King Neb says, you can't blaspheme against this God. Darius takes it a step further. You need to tremble and fear this God. God produces Uh, This miracle to accomplish his divine purpose, revealing to a lost king in a lost world his power and his control. God has a vision to accomplish way more than you could ever even dream about. And I know this is true because Daniel was a human being just like you and me. And I guarantee you this was not how he wanted to write his story. Nor did he see the vision of the impact that his life could have. If Daniel were to write his story, it probably would have been something like this. God, while I refuse to pray for you for a month, would you still believe that I love you? Right? Or or God, while I go out there and pray, would you change the king's mind? Help him revoke this law. It would not have been, God, I'm going to be faithful and I want you to throw me into the den of lions. But God has a plan. He has a story. He has a vision for your life. And there's a future kingdom that will not be destroyed. It's what Darius says in verse 26. My last point, as God's faithful people, we have a kingdom that will not be destroyed Darius is the one confessing this. Darius is the one teaching us this. God uses him. But a a point needs to be made here. I, I need to pause and say that not every person, not every faithful person of God is delivered from their trial. It was in chapter three. 
from the fiery furnace. That's happened. It, it is here in our text in Daniel 6. So it, it would be very honoring to the text, in my opinion, for me to just talk about how God always makes a way and delivers his people. But I have to say, because I know this entire Bible is a story, and I've, I know too many of you who are suffering just went to a hospital on Friday night, someone that's been in and out of the hospital for two months. Tell him God's just going to deliver you from his trial, right? Tell Pastor Tom and Kathy who have been struggling with these health things, God's going to just deliver you from this. God oftentimes does not deliver us from uh, the trial. Uh, Peter, uh, the man we quoted earlier, says this in 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. Peter knew this, and he paid for his faith with his life in excruciating death. The man who claimed this about God, right, died in his trial. God often has us go through it. We're just called to be faithful, trusting that God is faithful. He's not obligated to work the same way every time. Just because he did this for Daniel doesn't mean he wants to do it exactly for you, but we have to trust God's plan when all seems lost and know that we have a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. We have a room being prepared in heaven for us. I want to close this morning doing what I sometimes do. I've been known to do it a few times in sermons, talk about Lord of the Rings. But J.R.R. Tolkien uh, has this amazing story of these characters. And uh, the heroes of the story in the last book come to kind of the final toughest part of their journey. Frodo and Sam have been traveling to Mount Doom all this time. And they finally get there. And there's a lot that's happened circumstantially to make them lose all sight of hope. And when it completely seems lost, in the darkest moment, Sam looks into the sky in the darkness, but sees a glimmer of hope. This is what the book says. There, peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing, that there was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Our trials are but uh, a shadow. He's working even when all you can see is the shadow of a lion like Daniel or the shadow of your circumstances. God has the power to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, the kingdom of God is waiting for us. Death is a doorway to life. We believe in him and we have glorious joy because we are receiving the result of our faith, our salvation. God is good and he has a plan to deliver us from unfaithful enemies. Let's pray. And Father, uh, we come before you right now in, in trust, in awe of who you are, in awe of what you're doing, that you have a vision and a plan for our life that we can't even begin to imagine. Our problems aren't even what we think our problems are because there's so much more that you're accomplishing. God, would we look to Daniel, would we look at, at his faith and his perseverance in you, that we would be able to be steadfast and loyal in times of danger? Would we know we're going to come under attack? Would we know that trials are coming? And would we know, God, that we have a kingdom that will not be shaken, that is waiting for us, and that will endure to the end? Would we trust in that? Will we trust in that? Will we not leave here this morning thinking 
that, that we are Daniel and that the lion's den is all of our trials and that you're just going to deliver us from them. God, don't let us be so short-sighted. Give us a vision that you have. Give us spiritual eyes to see what you're doing. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.